Today's reading is Matthew 21, 1-22. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. When he said to it, then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Thank you very much for um, reading. And um, can I add my welcome to Claire's? It's great to see you all here this, um, this Tuesday lunchtime. And as Claire also said, we're returning to a series that we started last year looking at the person of Jesus Christ in Matthew's Gospel. And one key question throughout Matthew's Gospel is, who is this Jesus of Nazareth? And that question, you'll see, is 
is right there again at the centre of this passage we're looking at today. Do you see it there in verse 10? And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And that's what we're going to look at today. Who is this Jesus? This person of Jesus has inspired so much of the finest architecture, art, poetry and prose of the last 2,000 years. His, his teaching has formed the basis of Western civilization. We, we even divide our calendar into before he lived and after he lived. I mean, he's had such an effect on the way we think and that we live that for that reason alone it's worth thinking about who is this person. But the claims he makes for himself in the Gospels are are so much more than just historically and culturally interesting. They are of the greatest personal importance for us as well. It's so vital that we don't mistake his identity. You may have uh, heard that there was a serious case of mistaken identity that took place recently in Tenerife's Loro Parque Zoo. The zoo staff were running through emergency routines of what to do if one of the gorillas escaped. And one staff member got dressed up in a gorilla suit and a mock escape was staged, unbeknownst to a member of the general public observing from a distance. This horrified visitor immediately called the police, as you would. A specialist vet was immediately dispatched and felled the man in the gorilla suit with a tranquilizer dart, <laughs> enough apparently to knock over a 400-pound beast. Now, I'm delighted to report that um, Gorilla Suit Man did make a full recovery <laughs> later in hospital. Now, it was obviously quite a serious case of uh, mistaken identity, but it does matter miles more that we get the identity of Jesus of Nazareth right because of who he claims to be. And uh, this passage tells us three vital things about his identity that I want us to notice today. And the first is that he is the king of the world. Do you see what the crowds that travel into Jerusalem, in both in verse 9, uh, and the children in the temple, uh, in verse 15, do you see what they call him? They call him the son of David. Now the Old Testament looks forward to a king who will come in the future, in the line of the great King David, but a king who will have none of the uh, failings that David and the other Old Testament kings had. He'll be a, ki a king whose kingdom will be everlasting and it will stretch over the whole world. And so while the crowds and the children are singing and shouting here is effectively, when they, sh when they sing, O King of David, they're effectively saying, O everlasting king of the world. And what, what is Jesus' response to this extraordinary acclamation? He accepts it. He doesn't say to the crowds or the children, shh, be, be quiet, you've got this all wrong, it's, you've got it all out of proportion. The Prime Minister's uh, sister has said that when he was a small boy that he apparently uh, said that he wanted to be uh, king uh, of all the world. Now, I don't imagine that if he was uh, now asked by Laura Koonsberg in an interview, are you the king of the world, he would answer in the affirmative, do you? Now, it would be the height of arrogance and delusion. And yet, that's what Jesus does here in this passage. So what do we make of him? What do you make of him? Because many people today would, would say that he was a good teacher. 
or a prophet. And, and indeed, you can see in verse 11, many in the crowds in Jerusalem at the time come to that conclusion. He's a prophet from Nazareth. But any self-respecting Jewish good teacher or prophet would be appalled at the idea of claiming to be king of the world. Jesus doesn't leave us with these kind of comfortable opt-outs for who he is. He's claiming to be king of the world. So granted that, then perhaps, what are the other options? Perhaps he's mad. Well, can I invite you to have a read of the Gospels and his teachings that have formed the foundations of Western civilization and see if you think they are the teachings of a madman. Or perhaps, is he bad? Is he a charlatan trying to lead people astray, trying to trick people through using uh, evil powers and false claims. Well, that is certainly the conclusion that the, um, the religious authorities of the time came to. It's really striking. They didn't deny that he was doing miracles. They simply said that he was doing them through evil powers. But again, have a read of the Gospels and ask yourself if the teachings and the actions of Jesus Christ are those of an evil person. Who do you think he is? There's plenty more uh, in this passage uh, to help us reach a conclusion. So notice secondly that he is also the king who judges. So verses 12 to 17, the scene uh, switches to the, to the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple was at the very heart of religious life of Israel. The sacrifices that took place there were hugely powerful external physical signs that human sin leads to separation from God and and death. And their purpose was to point people to their need of God's forgiveness for their sins that came from actually from within, from within their hearts. However, for many people, the temple and the sacrifices had turned into empty religion where people came and offered their sacrifices to tick the religious box, but with no actual repentance or belief in their hearts. And this corrupt trade in uh, sacrificial animals was a, a symptom of this. And it wasn't a new complaint. The, uh, the Old Testament prophets, such as Jeremiah, had, al- had already called this out. But the prophet Malachi had also promised that God himself would come in the future to his temple and judge it. And it looks like Jesus is very plainly casting himself in this role here because he quotes God's judgment on the temple from the prophets and then he carries it out by driving out the money changers and those selling sacrificial animals. And this is the significance, I think, of that the strange episode of the cursing of the fig tree that happens the very next day Uh, that Matthew chooses to include right next to this episode, after the visit to the temple. Jesus does this cursing of the fig tree as a sign to the disciples of what he was doing in the temple. Because the appearance of leaves on a fig tree is normally the sign that early fruit is there on the tree. But this fig tree, you'll see, didn't actually have any fruit to accompany its leaves. So effectively, it was advertising that it had fruit, but there was no fruit there at all. And this is a picture, a really powerful picture of the false religion going on at the temple. There was plenty of outward show, but no real fruit, no actual prayerful repentance 
and thankfulness to God. And Jesus God comes as God himself to judge this kind of empty religion. Now this Jesus who judges is a bit uncomfortable, isn't he? Now we're quite comfortable with Jesus the good teacher and Jesus the prophet, but the Jesus who judges. But stand back and just think about it for a moment. We do actually want a God who, who judges, don't we, at the end of the day? We look, we look around at the world and we see so much injustice and suffering going on. We long for it to be put to rights. And yet the injustice and corruption that we see out there so clearly does, if we're honest, run through our own hearts too. That same king who judges the corruption and the hypocrisy going on in the temple judges our own hearts today. And you know, many people think that that's where the Christian message begins and ends. You're a sinner, God's going to judge you, so therefore pull up your socks and try a bit harder. But you know what? That is moralism. That is not Christianity. The wonderful news of the Christian message is that this king of the world, who will be our judge, is also the king who serves. And that's our final point, and it comes in verses 1 to 11. The king who serves. Now this entry that Jesus makes into Jerusalem is a, is a really familiar story to a lot of us. And it's really easy to miss how shocking it is. Because if you've been reading through Mark's, uh, Matthew's Gospel up until this point, you've seen Jesus with this incredible authority to calm storms, walk on water, heal countless people. And we see here in this passage about him coming and judging the temple as God himself. And this, this same person then chooses to enter Jerusalem riding on the foal of a donkey. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's awkward. What kind of king arrives to take hold of his kingdom riding on a donkey, I ask you? Did you know that the President of the United States' motorcade numbers up to 30 vehicles uh, when, when on tour? Now that, I suggest, is a proper way to travel, <laughs> and a proper way for a leader to travel. You know, it sends a very clear message, doesn't it? Or um, can you imagine Kim Jong-un parading through the streets of Pyongyang in front of his adoring people sitting on a donkey? No, as a rule, he tends not to travel anywhere in Pyongyang without a huge arsenal of ballistic missiles and tanks all around him. And uh, ditto for President Xi in the recent um, Beijing uh, parades marking 70 years of the Communist Party. It was the same uh, pictures that we saw. So why does Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? Is it perhaps a terrible PR gaffe? Now, he wants to send a really clear message that he's a totally different kind of king. And verse 5 is a quote from the prophet Zechariah. And it comes right at the end of the Old Testament. And it's a prophecy of a righteous king who's going to come in the future. He's going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to be bringing salvation. And that this king is going to be humble, riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And Jesus is very obviously associating himself, lining himself up with this prophecy. 
He is a king bringing salvation, and he's not going to do it in some politi- political or military way, but he's going to do it in a deeply humble way. And it immediately calls to mind what he's just said to the disciples uh, before this entry to Jerusalem takes place. He said about himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now this is the utterly wonderful truth at the heart of the Christian faith. This King Jesus, who we see judging the false religion of the temple and who judges our own hearts, is the very same one who comes as a humble king to serve us. Because this humble king who enters Jerusalem on a donkey is the same one who continues that journey to the cross, to the place where he truly serves us by giving his life as a ransom for many. On that cross, Jesus swapped places with us. The judgment that we do deserve for our rejection of God, he instead takes upon himself. He dies the death that we should have died. The God who made the world, to whom we owe everything, became a man, a humble king, a servant, who gave up his life that we might live. Isn't that amazing? So as we close, let's return to that question in verse 10. Who is this? Because you see different groups of people in the passage do respond differently, and I wonder which group you identify with most. Perhaps you might put yourself with the crowds in verse 11 who think that he's merely a prophet. Or the religious authorities in verse 15 who are angry at him and think that he's an arrogant fraud. Well, I hope perhaps you've seen enough evidence from this passage today to just to begin to question those opinions, if that's where you are. And uh, can I encourage you to spend more time reading the rest of Matthew's Gospel or um, joining... Um, the Alpha course that's just started, the, the, the cards are on your, your chairs. We just started last week, so you can join in uh, tomorrow lunchtime. Claire and I would be delighted to chat to you afterwards if you'd like more details of that, to, to look into the evidence more about who this Jesus is. Or perhaps you might put yourself with the disciples in verse 20, whose attention is all on the fig tree. How did Jesus make it wither like that? Where did he get his power from? Because despite all they've seen of him so far in his ministry, the, th- the thought that this could be God in human flesh amongst them is it's clearly still too much for them to take in. And they're sort of wondering about how he's done this extraordinary thing. The immensity of what he's claiming for himself as to be the king of the world, the judge, the servant king, just hasn't sunk in with them properly yet. So I think to... To the disciples and to us today, Jesus is saying, raise your sights. Raise your sights to who I am and what I came to do. The final group in the passage uh, are the crowds of verse 9 and the children in verse 15, who do seem to be doing that already. They're already raising their sights as to who, who this is. They may not have a full idea, but they've, they've at least got the beginnings of it. And and Jesus commends their response to him in verse 16. So today, why don't we pray for ourselves um, that we might join join them in responding to Jesus. 
Let's pray together. Hosanna to the Son of David. We praise you, our Heavenly Father, for Jesus, the Son of David, the everlasting King of the world, who came not to be served, but to serve us by dying on the cross in our place. Please would you open our eyes to see him as he truly is, as our King, our Judge, and our Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen.